listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. This episode covers the life of Christ and the Gospel of Luke. You can enjoy more messages like this with the free Courage Matters app, available in your app store. If you'd like to request Michael for an interview, guest appearance, or as a keynote speaker for your event, click the Invite tab on the Courage Matters app or on CourageMatters.com. Do you really love people? Do you really care about people? I don't mean do you look like you care about people. There are a lot of people who read books, blog, tweet, Twitter paid it, wanting people to think that they care about other people, that they love other people, but deep down they don't. If you're listening by podcast, if you're a pastor or a church leader in some capacity or a ministry leader, that question is poised to you as well. If you're a Christian listening by podcast or listening live, the question is, do you really love people? Do you really care about people or do you just look like you care about people in a day and age where there are a lot of phonies floating around? A lot of people doing things in the name of Jesus who really don't care about people, who really don't love people, who are really in the final analysis building their own kingdom and not the kingdom of God. So what about you? Do you really care about people? Do you really love people? Because when we get to this passage in Luke chapter 16, turn with me in our Father's word, we cannot help but wonder where we stand in the teachings of Jesus. Luke chapter 16, verse 19. Jesus has been teaching to the disciples and Jesus has been teaching to the Pharisees. In particular, he's been giving a series of lessons, a series of messages that are targeted toward the Pharisees. And this is one of them. It is a parable, a story, a word picture that has a major teaching. It's not to be taken line for line the way an epistle is, the way a letter in the New Testament is, where every single verse has a particular truth or theological advancement. It's to be taken overall as a general teaching, a word picture that would be remembered quite a bit after Jesus was gone, that would be practical for everyday living. And here it is. Luke 16, 19, there was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he, the rich man, lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side, Abraham's side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame But Abraham said, child, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things and Lazarus in like manner bad things, but now he's comforted here and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. And he said, then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. 
And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to them, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Jesus obviously alluding to his eventual resurrection. People say, I want proof that God is real. I want to know for sure that God exists. If only God would do something miraculous, something stupendous, something unparalleled, then I would believe as if we're in the driver's seat, as if we're God and he's our puppet. And what Jesus is doing through this parable is helping us understand that the word of God is accurate. He's authenticating the validity of the Old Testament scriptures. He's referring to Moses and the prophets. Look with me at Luke chapter 24 in verse 27. Luke 24, 27 in our Father's word. Jesus does something here that we would do well to take note of. On the road to Emmaus, there's a disciple named Cleopas and another one, and they're walking after Jesus has been crucified, and after the resurrection, they just haven't seen the resurrected Jesus yet. And as they're walking on their way to Emmaus, Jesus appears to them and begins to talk with them to find out what they know and ultimately to help them understand what they should know about his identity and the purpose of the crucifixion. And on that road, this happens in Luke 24, 27. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he, Jesus, interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. This phrase, Moses and the prophets, is used by Jesus to refer to all of the Old Testament. And we understand very clearly from the use of Scripture that all of the Old Testament points to Jesus. Scripture finds its fulfillment in the word that became flesh, Jesus, as the Gospel of John says in chapter 1. And so this phrase, Moses and the prophets, is a reference to all of the Old Testament, So what we see Jesus doing is authenticating and invalidating the accuracy of the Old Testament. Now, if Jesus had that view of the scriptures, we should too. And the teaching for us today is that that is all that is needed to believe in God. I was tweeting back and forth foolishly. I say that because it was an atheist who was convinced against his will. On my Twitter account, we're going back and forth, and there's that saying, a man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. And I was foolish enough for a little while to try to convince him otherwise, and became very clear that he had his mind made up already. I had my mind made up already. But if a man or woman, boy or girl, is not willing to explore the record of Scripture, not willing to look at what the writings of Moses and the prophets from Genesis all the way up to Malachi, the Old Testament, And then in our case, the New Testament, if a man, woman, boy, or girl is not willing to look at the record of Scripture to help them understand and believe in the reality of God, the existence of God, they would not believe in a supernatural sign or wonder. This Bible is such a book that man couldn't write if he wouldn't, wouldn't write if he could. To have 66 books written by dozens of authors over generations didn't even know each other weren't even alive when they wrote, when other people wrote what they continued. And to have that have a continuous theme that points to Jesus Christ, there's no other book like the Bible. 
And this is what Jesus is pointing out to them. The Pharisees, these experts in the law, these people who believed in the accuracy of the Old Testament. They tried to, or at least they appeared to be trying to. We know that they weren't. They, in the final analysis, according to Jesus' estimation of them, were hypocrites. They were misguided, inept people in leadership positions who could lead people nowhere to the truth. Nowhere near the truth. Every time we see the Pharisees, instead of getting people closer to Jesus and closer to God, they're getting people further away from Jesus and further away from God. And this should not have been the case for people who said that they knew the Old Testament as well as they did. They read the Old Testament, but they really didn't read the Old Testament. They knew the Old Testament and the law, but they really didn't live the Old Testament and the law. The Pharisees believed in a future life. Many of us do. The Pharisees believed in a future judgment. Many of us do. But the Pharisees did not live like they really believed it. They knew it up here, but they didn't know it down here in their heart of hearts. And so this parable is directed toward the hypocrites. This parable is directed toward those who believed in an eternal life. This parable is directed toward those who believe in a reward, a life of rewards in the next life and a life of judgment in the life after this life. It's directed toward those who knew the truth but didn't live the truth. So Jesus makes it very clear that the word of God is sufficient to believe in God. If you are really interested and knowing whether or not there's a God, what he's like, and what he requires of you, then the word of God must be your starting point. If you start there, you will end there. This is why Jesus is referring to Moses and the prophets. It's a phrase that refers to all of the scriptures and all of the scriptures. This is why it happened on the road to Emmaus in Luke chapter 24. All of the scriptures are about Jesus. They point toward Jesus, they culminate in Jesus, and you do well if you want to know more about Jesus, the Son of God, God in the flesh, the God who loves you so much that he would come and take your place on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins if you really want to have forgiveness, if you really want to put your money where your mouth is, settle the issue of the existence of God, if you really want to know how to live for God and enjoy him in this life and the life to come, then the word of God becomes central to every part of your life. It's as simple as that. Notice in the beginning of this parable, in verse 19, Luke chapter 16, there was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, probably not the Lazarus who was raised from the dead. Lazarus was a common name. What we see happening here is the poor man actually being given a name. You know, God has the number of hairs on your head counted. He knows you by name. The implication here, because the rich man is not given a name, the implication is what's being brought through this whole parable, that the poor man who was considered unfortunate, and downcast, down and out, not looked upon favorably by the rich during the course of his life, actually was very dear to God, very close to God, known on a personal, intimate level. But the rich person 
who received luxury and joy and satisfaction and was able to feast anytime he wanted, however he wanted, was distant from God. See, we have a Messiah who's shown up on the scenes, Jesus. Who's teaching the religious leaders of his day, the hypocrites, that they're like the rich man. Jesus, just earlier in this chapter, has talked about you cannot serve both God and money. You'll be devoted to one and hate the other. And so the theme is continuing for Jesus that you cannot serve both God and money. You've got to make up your mind who you're going to serve. The Pharisees made up their mind. They were concerned about getting the best seats, having the position of honor, the flowing robes, the praise of the people. Pharisees made up their mind. They wanted it here and now. They weren't interested in the not yet and what is to come. And these guys understood the reality of the afterlife. These guys understood the reality of judgment to come. That those who are dear to God, those who are unfortunate, those who the world looks down upon are highly favored by God. And what the world esteems is highly detestable to God. You notice here that it says that the rich man is clothed in purple and fine linen. You know, in Mark chapter 15, Jesus is adorned by the Roman soldiers before he goes to the cross with a purple robe. As they mocked him. They spit on him. His purple was the color of royalty. The implication was very clear. Wear this royalty. Put this on for sins. Matthew says in Matthew 27, it was a scarlet robe. So we have a contradiction in the Bible. Was it scarlet or was it purple? It was probably of such a color that it could be described either way. How about that? The rich man feasting not just once, but anytime he wanted, feasting sumptuously, enjoying a meal whenever he wanted. He had enough money, had enough resources. Got his fill in the course of his life. Anything he needed, anytime he wanted it, he had it. And there was a guy named Lazarus, known by name by the Lord, laid at his gate. The man had a gated compound. How about that? Laid at his gate, sores. You know, I was in the Solomon Islands several times. Most of the time we think of a dog around this part of the country, this part of the world as a pet that we certainly know does not have fleas, certainly know it does not have ticks. Many of the pets that we have are inside of our house intentionally because they're pets that are dear to us, and sometimes we love the pets more than we love the people because the pets don't talk back. <laughs> but this is probably not the imagery of the dog that's presented here. Solomon Islands, when I was there the first time back in 1996, it was around midnight and we were in this hut where we were staying, preparing to go on this trip to preach the gospel. And as we were there, these dogs could be heard howling off in the distance. Ow! Chilling. Ow! And then I noticed as time passed, they didn't seem so far away. It seemed like they were coming closer. They were far, they were close and near until it seemed like they were right outside my door. 
I got up out of my bed. I followed the howling sound, put my hand on the doorknob of the front door, and opened up slowly that doorknob. And there, a yard's distance away, were two of the most mangy, disgusting, stinky dogs you could ever imagine looking at me and howling. And I said, in the name of Jesus, I rebuke you. And they yiped and screamed and ran away, never to be seen again. In a third world country like that, it's not uncommon to see mangy, scroungy dogs who will be so hungry and so starved that they would even stoop to the level of licking somebody else's festering sores. So we have this poor man who's in a bad predicament with poor dogs in a worse predicament, and yet the man is being loved by God. And the rich man misses his golden opportunity because he had the ability to do something to make the poor man's state easier, and he did nothing. He did nothing. Can you imagine that? He did absolutely nothing. He didn't have to go out to a foreign mission field to help the poor person. The guy was actually brought in and put at his gate. All he had to do was have his driver stop on the way out of his compound while the electric door was opening. He kept going and doing his own thing. You know, in the book of James, there's a powerful passage of Scripture that speaks to us today. Look with me in the book of James chapter 4. Beginning in verse 17, a wonderful definition of sin. If you've ever wondered what sin is, here it is. James 4, 17, and then we're going to go through chapter 5. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it's a sin. Come now, you rich, chapter 5, verse 1. Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You've laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You've lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You've fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. To have money, to have resources, to have whatever it is that God has given you, and not to use it to help other people who are down and out, who are less privileged than you are, is to treat that person with hostility. Not a friend. Not to love your neighbor as yourself. The truth of the matter is, you might have more in the area of resources than you realized you had. Most of us are not in a situation like Lazarus was. Most of us have a much better condition in our health and in our financial status than to have to have somebody else lay us at a gate. We're not crippled, most of us, 
And if we are, most of us don't have to have somebody lay us down in front of a gate. I know that there are instances where there are people who are like that, but most of us are not in that situation. You see, you have more in regard to resources than you're giving yourself credit for. You have a greater position of influence in the life, in the lives of someone around you, in your world who doesn't have what you have. You can do something. You can do something to help somebody out who's not as privileged as you are. In fact, God expects it. God requires it. For those of us who believe in a life to come, those of us who believe in a judgment to come, it is fitting, it is characteristic, it is necessary, it is essential. We must be concerned with the here and now because the here and now will shape what happens in the not yet. It's going to shape it. In my pocket, I have something that some of you would consider to be very valuable. It was given to me. One-tenth of an ounce. It's a gold coin that was given to me. One-tenth of an ounce of as close to pure gold as you could get. Now, in today's market, an ounce of gold, some of you know this readily, is $1,216. So if you do the math, you could figure out what this is worth. It's about the size of a dime, and yet it's worth that much. This thing became this thing after it was melted down, after it was purified, and then it was cast into a mold. It was cast into a mold to become what it is right here as this gold coin. Once it's cast, its value increases. It becomes tradable, collectible, real money, not fake money like what's print, being printed today. In the same way that this gold coin was cast and now is cast and will be forever cast until one day it's melted down when the heavens and the earth are destroyed by fire and everything will be melted and consumed and then there will be a new heavens and a new earth. See, the idea of what we're living in right now is not permanent. There is a greater permanence coming, and you're going there one way or another. In the same way that that coin is cast, so is your future. Your future is not as far away as you think it is. Your future is being cast in the present. In fact, you could say, in all honesty, on the authority of God's word, that your present is a present you will one day give yourself. How's that for appealing to our selfish nature in church? Your present life is currently, right now, reaping what will one day be a present you will receive back in the future. This is exactly what we see in verse 22, Luke 16. The poor man died and was carried by angels. Look at the position of favor to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. No angels, no favor. The Pharisees believed in angels. You know anybody who believes in angels? Pharisees believed in angels. And we see the favor being extended to Lazarus, the guy who didn't have much in the here and now, but ended up with a whole lot. One day, he was at Abraham's side. 
And then Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue. The idea of agony. Don't use this passage for an eschatology, a study of eschatology, because it's not the purpose. It's not supposed to be taken line by line. Jesus is appealing to what the Pharisees believed, what the audience believed. They knew that there was a judgment to come. He's painting with a broad brush. He's talking about the idea of one day, a judgment to come, that those who lived for the glory of God, those who lived for the purpose of God, those who understood the reality that life is happening and that they were living it on purpose. Life is happening, live it on purpose. Jesus is reminding them of the certain day that's coming. A day of rewards and a day of punishment. Those who live for the glory of God, for the purpose of God in the here and now will enjoy the favor, the blessings of God. And those, regardless of what they know, regardless of what they say they know, remember the Pharisees believed in eternal life. The Pharisees believed in a judgment to come. The Pharisees believed in angels. They sound a lot like evangelical Christians, don't they? Does that not scare you? They weren't living on purpose. They knew the word of God. They knew what the word of God said. Took great pride in the scriptures that they had memorized. Took great pride in the fellowships that they probably had where they would quiz each other on their Bible knowledge. And yet, when it came to putting their money where their mouth was, they literally would not do it. In fact, they literally could not do it. It is possible to know the word so well that it does you absolutely no good. Be careful with your knowledge of the Bible because to him who much is given, much is required. And what God is requiring of you and me is to get off our butts. Talk is cheap. We're going to be a church of local, regional, national, international impact. Let's do it. Anybody with me? Let's be it. Let's allow God to teach us through his word to, yes, convict us with his word. Because conviction always comes with the light at the end of the tunnel. God shows us, hey, I'm showing you this in the here and now so that one day you'll have a great reward. Make adjustments in your life right now in the here and now. Life is happening. Live it on purpose right now, not in the future. Your future is being cast by how you're living today. My future is being cast right now. What I'm doing today, what you're doing today is eternally significant, eternally significant for you. There's coming a day when, just like in this story, there's a, there's a chasm. There's a great divide. The rich man can't make it over to Lazarus. Lazarus can't make it over to the rich man. The idea here is that once it is cast, once you make, once a person makes the transition into eternity, there's no turning back. The Bible does not present this idea of a purgatory. It doesn't. 
It's an extra biblical idea. Your life, my life, life itself is happening right now. Your life is happening right now. And so is the life of someone else who's near to you. So are the lives of other people all around us. Life is happening. We've got to live it on purpose. We've got to put our money where our mouths are. We've got to put our lifestyles where our heads are. We say that we're in the Bible. We know that we're in the Bible, but is the Bible in you? Is the word of God in you to such a degree that it's coming all out of you, out of every orifice, out of your mouth, out of your eyes, your hands, your feet? Is everything that you're doing right now being cast in the present for the ultimate present? Not only what you get in the life to come, but also what you're able to give and present to the Lord as an offering to him in that life to come. Pharisees, so heavenly minded, they were no longer heavenly minded. Jesus having to rebuke them, having to address them, having to basically put them in their places. These people who should have been teaching other people, leading people to the feet of Jesus, were driving them away in droves. Should have seen themselves as the hands and the feet of the very God whose name they would not even pronounce for fear of dishonoring him. And yet they had no fear of God after all, did they? No fear of God after all. Because a fear of God, a healthy fear of God, a respect for God, it's not like the fear that many of us are going to be overcome by in a month or so when Halloween comes and you see these things all over the place. You, some of you like to watch scary movies. It's not that type of fear. When the Bible talks about the fear of God, it is a respect. It's a reverence that is so real, so honest, that it cannot help but motivate you to change how you're living. That's what the fear of God is. It's a reverence for God that changes the way you're living right here and right now. The Pharisees, future life, future rewards, believed in angels. But when it came to everyday living, with golden opportunities placed right at their feet, couldn't see it. Couldn't see the forest through the trees. Can you imagine what would happen in this country if the church of Jesus Christ, and I'm not talking about the posing church of the Mormons, I don't mean that in an underhanded way. I mean it in accordance with Galatians chapter 1. If anyone preaches a Jesus other than the one preached in the Bible, he's not the biblical Jesus. Can you imagine what would happen in this country with all that's happening in this country if God's people, the person to your left, person to your right, the person that looks back to you in the mirror, actually began to look at the word of God and beg God for opportunities to put into action what they're reading. There's no such thing as being educated in the Bible at the expense of having the Bible come out of you. If this really is the word of God and you know that I believe it is, hopefully you do too. then God himself should be emanating out of us 
God himself should be giving us eyes to see the things that he sees. God himself should be giving us hands to reach out and touch the lives that need to be touched, giving us feet to go places where otherwise in our natural man, in our natural womanhood, who we are in the flesh would never go. God has a way of sending us places. God has a way of changing our minds, changing our hearts. God has a way where we're in the Bible, putting us on a collision course with him, which is a friendly collision. It's always a friendly collision. It's a loving collision between God and you. What God is saying to you, be my hands, be my feet, be my mouthpiece, go. Remember that your eternal destiny will one day be cast unchangeably. And the way you impact it and influence it is right here and right now. Because brothers and sisters, my friends, life is happening. You must live it on purpose. You've been listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. If you enjoyed this message, you'll love Michael Anthony's Courage Matters podcast, where he focuses on leadership, relationships, and world events. To learn more, visit CourageMatters.com or download the free Courage Matters app. Interested in requesting Michael for an interview, guest appearance, or as a keynote speaker for your event? Click the Invite tab on the Courage Matters app or on CourageMatters.com. In the meantime, keep looking up. There's no place else worth looking. Mm -hmm.